ending. <laughs> it continues from birth to death. Man continuously puts forth effort, works, if you please, to satisfy his needs and his wants. Okay? Man, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven if I could only get a two-wheel bike with training wheels. And then I got tired of that, and I wanted a bigger one. And then I thought if I can only get one with three speeds, that would all be all I'd ever need. And then I outgrew that, and then I wanted, I got, you know, 16, I wanted a car. And if I could get that car, and it was a 55 Chevy, two-door hardtop, man, what would a person need for anything else the rest of their life? You know, and a year later, I want another one. And I bought another one. And then you get married, and you want this, you want that, and you want furniture, and you want houses, and you want cars, and you want boats, and you want four-wheelers, and you want whatever, motorcycles, of which I have one. But it's paid for, and it was paid for cash when I got it. But, you know, it's never-ending. You say, well, what determines what I will have? What you can pay cash for. That will determine what you can have. So, people get in financial trouble with the things that were mentioned there a little bit, but basically credit cards and cars and, of course, houses. You you need to keep in line the kind of house that you can afford. Everybody wants a five-bedroom house with four-and-a-half baths and three-car garage, swimming pool, I guess. I don't know. Uh, uh, that's probably not true. It's like a place to hang your hat and have for your own. But, uh, you know, you can go crazy trying to, you know, bigger and better, bigger and better. Uh, that's uh, a problem that many people have. And so you you have what you can afford. And everybody said amen. And... Uh, how do you determine what that is? Well, you give 10% at least to God and then 10% to yourself, and then you live on the rest. And I know some of that will be offerings and so forth. God bless. Now, let's put the car up because this causes a lot of trouble to people. Uh, buying a car because cars are a big expense, your second biggest expense other than your uh, house usually or where you live however you live, uh, rent, whatever, is buying a car. Now, this, this looks complicated, but I, I, I'm going to I'm just go through this real quick. But let me say this. The cheapest way, according to the consumer uh, credit and, and all of these other studies that have been done, the cheapest way to drive a car in America, are you listening? is to buy a car four years old and keep it for four years. Did you hear what I said? Because all of the depreciation, most of it is taken out. If you want to, for years, I would buy Cadillacs, because we got more space out there, four years old, usually. I'd buy them for, oh, ten, eleven thousand dollars $11,000 or less. And I would keep them for four years. And I would usually sell them for about four or five thousand dollars. That meant I drove six years for about six thousand dollars, about fifteen hundred dollars a year. Did you get what I just said? So I was driving those cars for something like 
$125 a month. But I had a lot of friends who were paying three and $400 plus a month for vehicles. And I just don't even like the sound of that. Okay? Now, I want to show you a comparison here. Suppose somebody bought a, a $20,000 car, okay? Are you looking at the top? $20,000 loan and had to pay 8 and 3 quarter percent for five years. And if you buy some used cars, you'll pay that. Sometimes they'll get it cheaper. I know they have 0%, but don't get sucked into all that. But anyway, $413 a month for that five years, you'd pay for that car $24,825. And then usually when you're at the end of five years, you're wanting another one. Now, instead, let's go to line two. Instead of paying $413 a month, buy a used car. It's an old clunker for $138 a month. Let's say you had to borrow that money. A $4,000 loan at two and a half years at 9% would be about $150 a month. But suppose, see, in the top line, you were paying $413 Invest the difference. In other words, save it. Approximately $275 you'd be saving. You hear me? And put it in the bank. And, well, you can't get 8% now, but whatever you could get, possibly, you would save a certain amount. In this illustration, it would be $20,000. Now, five years have passed. You drove a brand-new car. And then uh, the other guy decided he'd buy a used car for $4,000 and just nurse it along. You say, I don't know if I could do that. My youngest son, the, the car finally died here a few weeks ago on the interstate between Memphis and Jackson. But it had 239,000 miles on a 96 Monte Carlo. He drove that thing for five and a half years going to college and uh, paid, I think, uh, 5500 for it. But anyway, after five years, number one car that you paid $413 a month for, okay, it's now shot, and uh, it's worth about $4,000. Do you hear me? How much money have you got saved for another car? Zero, right? How much money do you have for the next car? They'll give you $4,000 for it if you're lucky, Okay. Then what do you do? You start payments again on another one. You've spent $4,825 on interest. That went out the window. You donated that to the bank. You are very kind to make that wonderful donation to the bank. $4,825 has gone on interest, and it's out the window. But let's look at scenario number two. Okay, you drove that $4,000 car, and after five years, maybe it's worth $1,000. Okay, not much. But you saved $275 a month because you said, I'm not going to pay $413 to those cutthroats down at uh, Bank of America. And so you save that money. Now, you can't get 8% right now. I understand that. But whatever you could get, let's say it was even $18,000, okay, right down there. The money saved after the car was paid, uh, you could put extra money and see you were making payments of, say, 140 150 a month. You start throwing that in. That's another $4,000. Are you catching me here? So you'd have around $25,000 because you drove a clunker for four years. Now what do you do? Pay cash for the next car and start to save again. How many, you know what? My mother always used to say this. 
She said, you know what the best kind of car to drive is? I said, no, what? She said, a paid-for one. And it doesn't matter what it is. The best kind of car to drive is one that's paid for. You say, I don't make that kind of money. I can't pay for Here's what you're going to have to do. And everybody say, uh-oh. Take the car you're driving now. If it's paid for, shout hallelujah. If it's not paid for, pay it off as quick as you can and start putting money aside for the next one. You say, well, it's paid for. Yeah, but you're going to need another one. And if you've been paying 300 a month on that car and now it's paid for, keep paying $300 a month. Who do I pay it to? Pay it to yourself. Put it in an account and let it build up. And then you say, well, what should I do when it gets way up there? Just wait till your car needs to be uh, sold when it gets starting to have problems or there is a super sale on somewhere. And if you've got enough money, then pay cash for it. Are you hearing me? And you won't have to drive with car payments. You know, somebody called me and said, well, you know what? I can go down here, and they got interest-free loans. Well, whoopee-doopee-doo. You still owe General, uh, you know, General Motors or Ford Motor Company or, or Happy Harry's car lot, whatever. You still owe them three or $400 a month. I don't care if you're getting a 0% interest. When I buy a car, it doesn't matter what the economy does. They can't come and get my car. Why? Because it's paid for. Are you hearing me? We, brought a, we bought a brand-new town and country van uh, in the summer of '05, so we've had it for two and a half years. Now, I didn't pay cash for it. The reason I didn't was... I borrowed a little money on it from Chrysler Credit Corporation because they said, if you'll borrow anything on it, we'll give you another $1,000 off of the price. And I said, does you have a rule of 78? Absolutely not. And so in a couple of months, after I made two payments, I paid that, that money off. And we paid cash for that. That was a $30,000 vehicle. That don't make that kind of money. But you know what I did? Monta. Are you hearing me? You say, does this really work? It works. It works. Because a lot of people get in trouble with vehicles because we, and I used to think you had to trade all the time because of peer pressure or whatever, you know, a car got 70,000 miles on it. i got to get a new one. Well, the car I'm driving now has got 145,000 miles on it. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going over 200,000 with it. And my son just had one that quit on him with 240000 a Chevy. And, uh, and I just believe that uh, you can do that in this day and age. Take care of your car. When you all needs to be changed, change it. When repairs need to be done, take care of it. Come on. But if you'll do it, it's an amazing thing how, how sometimes these – you say, well, I want to trade every three years. Fine, if you can pay cash. That determines, you see. And when you do that, you won't get in trouble. And you won't get into this vicious cycle of pay, 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 and interest and, and all of that, that that goes out the window. If you would, you know, 
do your income tax, and they, they give you credits for the interest that you've paid. You start adding that up from credit cards and car payments and house payments, and, and I know there's a certain tax deduction for house payments and, and all of that, but, but when you look at all of that, you think, wow, I just donated all that money to Visa or whatever. And uh, why not have that yourself? Can you imagine the average credit card holder pays far more than $1,000 a year in interest, and if you did what Ben did, you remember Ben up there, and just put that money away and said, I'm going to donate that interest not to the bank but to myself, you could end up with three or $400,000 by the time you retire with no effort. Well, why didn't somebody tell me this? Well, I'm telling you right now. And so uh, that is a powerful thing. So uh, cars are a big expense. Now, I'm not, I'm not opposed to somebody buying a new car, but depreciation is a powerful thing. If you buy a new one and keep it and keep it and keep it, that's the best way. I mean, I mean, that's one way. But if you buy a new one and want to go down and trade it every two or three years, wow, you're going to get hit with depreciation. It's unbelievable because, as I said, it's worth 25% when, less when you drive it off the lot. And so uh, the cheapest way, especially if you're on a modest budget, is to buy a car four years old that you can find, help somebody to find you if you're not real good about knowing about cars. But I find them all the time, and others can help you in the church. Maybe a brother that's a mechanic, bring it by, say, what is this like? I have a mechanic that I take it to in our town. He tells me he checks the transmission and the motor, and it's obvious what the other things are. Brakes can be fixed. Batteries can be bought. Tires can be bought. I mean, it doesn't take a nuclear scientist to figure these things out. But as long as, you know, you check the transmission and you check the motor, and and if that's decent and you can look at the other, then, uh, you know, and then you – course, I never pay retail for a car because I go get the black books and I find out what the wholesale value is, and I offer wholesale and then cash. Let me tell you what I did one time. I saw a Cadillac SLS in the paper in Memphis, called the guy. He'd already bought a BMW, and he was trying to sell this car because they wouldn't give him anything for it. And uh, uh, he was asking thirteen five for it and trying to get it. I looked in the book. That's what the, the wholesale was on it. And so I said, I'll tell you what, uh, if you'll drive to exit 42 on I-40, I can meet you there. You know what I did? I went there with cash, and I drove the car, and we're sitting there at one of these 7-Eleven-type stores. After I drove it, I said, you want to sell this? He said, oh, I do. I said, I'll give you $11,000 right now. He took it. But you can't do that. Well, i got to go down to my bank and see if they'll finance it. Did you hear me? But I didn't get $11,000 overnight. I had to save for it. Okay? Now, that car was 13500 wholesale. You know what they were asking for down at, at the car lot? 15 something I got it for 11 Okay? And drove that car for a long time. I had put 175,000 miles on that car. I'm telling you, you can do it and not be in bondage to vehicles. People get in trouble with credit cards and vehicles, and then maybe they buy too much housing for what they can afford. And I know housing is more expensive here, and the percentages are not quite the same as what they would be in in other areas, these big cities. It's a little different, but uh, you certainly can control the car and the credit card. Everybody said amen.
All right. Don't borrow money for any depreciable item. Let me give you an example about interest here, okay? Uh, the church I pastored in Jackson, Tennessee, we built a 23,000-square-foot complex on uh, six acres. We had a beautiful building, full gymnasium, gorgeous six, 700-seat auditorium. And uh, we bought, we got as much as we could up front, but we spent about $1.3 million on the project. And in July of 1993, we borrowed $491,000. These are exact figures at 7.5% interest. Now, here's what we did. Uh, we couldn't pay it all off. I would, would have loved to, but it was impossible. But uh, we paid off the loan in six and a half years. This is how much interest we paid, $116,233.50. But if we had just plunked along and paid it off over 20 years, the interest would have been $440,633 that the people would have had to pay. Well, you know, the Baptists aren't going to pay for our church. So we would have had to pay it. So it would have been 440000 but we paid it off in six and a half years. We pushed hard. You remember that. Uh, we, uh, we only paid $116,000 over that six and a half years of interest only. That was more than I wanted to. But anyway, we saved that church $324,399.50 of the church's money so they could give it to the missionaries or give it to home missions or something else. And everybody said amen. Do you know that if you will pay one extra payment on your 30-year loan every year, you will pay that house off in 21 and one-half years? Did you know that? Just paying one payment every year on your house, putting it on the principal, instead of plunking along for 30 years, You'll pay that house off in 21 and a half years. Now, where I come from, that sounds good. Does that sound good to you? In fact, <laughs> uh, you know, Dave Ramsey uh, and a lot of others, and he's a kind of a financial fella, uh, says you shouldn't borrow more than 15 years on your house. But that would be very difficult in this part of the world. But if you would just take one payment a year and add it. See, whatever your payment is, $1,500, add one $1,500 extra payment a year. You pay it off in 21. You know, when you start figuring that out, you say, hey, maybe we can try to do two. Hello? All right. Never borrow. They have something called HELs. Anybody know what that is? It's called home equity loans. The trouble is they left off one L. You know why? That's a dangerous thing. When you buy a house, pay it off. Don't go borrowing off. Well, I'm going to go down to my cash cow here. You know, this house it used to be worth 300000 Now it's 450000 Well, I'm going to take some equity out of that. Don't do that. Okay. Some homes have been financed to 125%. You're going to get in trouble. In fact, this whole country's in trouble with that right now. Foreclosures? Oh. Because they practice HEL, home equity loans. So don't don't do that. All right. Now, when let's see what the next one is. 
Okay, no, let's not do that quite yet. Write these things down, and I don't know exactly where that is in that. When should you borrow? Number one, borrow on short terms. Well, let me say something about cars. If I know somebody, maybe you, you need a car or the vehicle's quit running or it's just beyond repair or whatever, and maybe you do have to borrow some money for a vehicle. But, you know, don't borrow to the max. How many have ever heard of being upside down in a car? That means you owe more on it than what it's worth. Happens every day. You know what they're selling now? They're selling depreciation insurance. You go buy a car for 20000 and you add the interest onto it, and maybe you get credit life on it, and you get something else, and now you've got 23000 in the car, and a year later you've got to sell it for some reason. Now it's worth $14,000, and you still owe 19000 on it. They're actually selling insurance for the difference because people are upside down. Okay, so when should you borrow? You say, well, when I feel like it. Because I like that new dress, because I like that new suit, because I like that vacation, or whatever. No. Number one, you borrow on short terms. And number two, only on an appreciating asset. That simply means when you get this stuff squared away, and it'll take a while, the only payment you should really have is your house payment. And then, of course, you'd have your utilities. But that's not something you, I mean, can't pay that ahead. Okay? Number one, borrow on short terms. So if you even bought a car and, you know, they say, you can borrow, you can, you know, they've got seven-year loans on cars now? Give me a break. Pretty soon they'll be financing them like houses. Borrow on, and can you imagine the interest on that deal? Borrow on short terms. And number two, only on an appreciating asset. So that kind of sets the, the ground rules, doesn't it? Of whether you're going to do this or buy this or get this. Only on an appreciating asset. Okay? Now, I want you to do something. Because I remember your homework, you were supposed to list all of your bills, no matter what they were. All the way from I owe the dentist $75 to I owe hundreds of thousands of dollars on my house. Whatever. Okay? But here's what you need to do. You need to keep a log. Everybody say a log. Of every dime you spend for one month. Are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding. Now, some of it you have a paper trail already because you write checks for your utility bill or whatever. Uh, and some of those things, car payment, whatever. But then sometimes we go through money in our pockets, or you've got credit card receipts. Start figuring out what you really owe, okay? And then where your money's going. Because you can dribble money quite a way. Do you realize what one Starbucks a day invested not in Starbucks, but are you hearing me? Would do? People can spend $25 a week in Starbucks. That's $100 a month, and they don't even realize it. Kind of like smokers, you know, with packs of cigarettes. If they had that money and invested it for a year or 10 years, 
they'd retire in some uh, Hawaiian island. So keep track of where your money's going, where you're spending it, even on the small things. I mean, everything, a pack of gum. Figure it out where your money's going, and because that's going to help you in a minute to start the process of a budget. Now, uh, get ready with the next one, but let's do the first one. Cover a piece of paper over the other two, if you would, because I want to take a little bit of time here. This is important. You want to get, how many want to get out of debt? I mean, I mean everything other than, say, your house. How many, how many want, and I'm not asking you who owes anything, but, but you really would like to get out of debt, okay? I told you last night, you didn't get in debt overnight, and you're not getting out overnight either. But there is a way out. Everybody said there is a way out. Okay, number one. Let's go to number one here. Okay. If you wanted to get out of debt starting tonight, the first thing you would do is quit borrowing for anything. For anything. You say, well, you know, we got this coming up. Now, I know Christmas is coming, so this may be a bad time. See, I've already got a Christmas budget that I've been putting aside something every week, all year. Because I know it's coming. Christmas has come every year that I've lived. Okay? I'm not against Christmas. In fact, I love it. I enjoy it. But you got to prepare for it. Okay, number one, quit borrowing money for what? For anything. How in the world are you going get, to get out of debt if you keep borrowing money? Well, I'm going to go down and get a consolidation loan, and I'm going to consolidate everything. Then you didn't do what I just said. You make up your mind, a conscious decision. I'm not borrowing money for anything. I'm not putting another dime on my credit card because that's borrowing money. We're not going to go look at a new car because I'd have to borrow money. Hello? I'm going to quit borrowing money for anything. You say, well, I'm going to be living a miserable life. Oh, it's going to be tough for a while. But you just said you want to get out of debt. Oh, but you say, I want the painless method. Well, I don't know that that exists. Okay? Quit borrowing money for anything. Okay? Now, what would be number... Now, let's just, just pause here for just a moment. Quit borrowing money for anything. Think about that. Am I willing to make that kind of a commitment to determine that we are going to eat what we're going to eat and, and wear what we're going to wear and drive what we're going to drive? Because it's going to involve some pain. Everybody say pain. I'm going to tell you something that takes the average family three to four years to get it. You remember what I said? The average family has about $38,000 of consumer debt, so some are more, some are less. You're going to get over that in two months? You can't do that. But when I had you list all of your bills, all of your whatever they were, debts, some of you probably had a reality. Wow. I don't want to do this. Well, I had you take a snapshot of where you actually were, okay? Because I'm having a reality check because I think I am bigger than I've ever been in my life, and they have a scale, and I'm not even going on it because I don't want to know. 
But when I get home, I'm going to want to know because I've been eating for I don't know. You come out here and just, whew. I went through 11 banquets because we have banquets in every section for Christmas for Christ banquets with all of the pastors and superintendents supposed to be at every one, and I was there, and every banquet was wonderful, and it's destroyed. I'm going to have to have a reality check, and it's not going to be pleasant. There's going to be a lot of screaming, weeping, and wailing, and gnashing of teeth. (laughs) But I'm going to have to do something here because I'm running out of clothes. (laughs) Okay? I'm going to be smaller than him someday. Okay, everybody say snapshot. you got to take a snapshot find out where you really are. And so, if you really want to get out of debt and you guys really meant what you said, number one, you've got to quit borrowing money for anything. And again, I, you said, oh, I'm going to go get a consolidation loan. I'm not going to take any more. No, we're not going to borrow any more money for anything until we get out of debt. And everybody said, hallelujah. Okay, and number two. Oh, my. This is called plastic surgery. I've done this quite a few times. I mean, I had Bible school students where I teach this every year come up to me and said, Brother Brown, I own, and there's a student. And they're trying to struggle through school, and they've been trying to subsidize their they're living and, and, and working, and they said, I owe $9,000 on these two cars. $9,000. And I got to this point, and uh, I'm not going to do it here, but we got some scissors. And I had a lot of students come up there and boom, boom, cut those cards in half. Destroy your credit cards. Goodbye, J.C. Penny. Goodbye, Sears. Hello. Goodbye, MasterCard. Oh, I don't want you to go. I thought you wanted to get out of debt. Now, some people that teach us say you should absolutely have zero cards, whatever. I'm not saying that. Uh, when I travel, you've got to have one to even make a motel room. But destroy your credit cards. I have one friend that will use a card very sparingly, but he said if ever there was an interest charge on it, they would destroy it. But if you're trying to get out of debt, you don't need one temptation. Destroy your credit cards. Everybody say hallelujah. You didn't say it very enthusiastically. <laughs> because you're you're not wanting to create more borrowing. And it's tempting to do it with a credit card. Well, that went over like high heel tennis shoes. Lead balloon. Now, here's the fun part, number three. Look at this. Kill your debt. That's why I had you list all of those. Now, what you need to do is take all of those credit cards, or rather those bills that I gave you, uh, whether they're credit card or car payment or house pay or, or your house or whatever, and list them. Everybody remember I told you to list them, didn't I? 
But here's how you're supposed to list them, from the smallest to the biggest. That's called a debt snowball. Now, you don't know what a snowball is. I'll explain it to you. It's crystals of, of frozen water that come out of the air and fall to the earth, and uh, it looks like white powder, okay? And when we were kids, when it stacked up this tall, which I have seen it taller than that, we had fun making snowballs because when it got sticky, you could just, you know, pack it together and roll it, and it would get bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go from the smallest to the largest, and we're going to snowball our debts. What do you mean by that? Exactly what I said. List them smallest to largest. Everybody hear what I say? Say it again. Smallest to largest. Now, here would be the natural inclination. Well, Brother Brown, I'm going to list the largest interest ones I have first. You see, I only owe $150 to the dentist, but he doesn't charge me that much interest, and I've got this credit card payment, and they're charging me 18%. I'm going to put that one first. You just asked me to help you get you out of debt. And here's what I'm telling you. You list the smallest to the largest. Okay? Are you hearing me? Now, when you add them all up and you do a reality check, no matter what that figure is, other than your house, but add up from the smallest to the largest, and the, probably the, the largest would be your car, other than maybe the, uh, the house, you would add all of those up, and whatever that figure is, that's what you're going to kill. In other words, you're going to get rid of all that debt, and you aren't taking any more on because you just decided you're going to quit borrowing money for anything. Isn't that right? So you can't add any more to it. So if that adds up to $25,000, that adds up to $30,000, then you're going to get rid of that. And let me tell you something. Once you start this process, you say, I could never get rid of this. Man, it gets to be a game. It gets fun. Now, here's the reason I asked you to, to list them from the smallest to the largest. It's psychological. Let's say you listed all those debts and there were ten of them. Ten. Everything from, you know, your brother-in-law, your nasty brother-in-law, $75, to, to the car. Master Charge in there, Visa's in there, Sears is in there, whatever. Okay? Now, don't worry about the interest rates that you're, you're being charged on those things, because here's what has to happen. You need psychological progress. Okay? Now, Whatever your payments are on those <clears throat> those bills, say there was 300 for the car and there was uh, 75 to master charge, whatever, you keep paying those minimums. Did you hear me? But whatever that smallest bill is, if you've got any extra money, put it on that one. Did you hear me? And get rid of it. And let's say you had 10 on the list. Maybe in a couple of months you eliminate that one. You've paid the minimum on all the others, but now you've eliminated that smallest one. Now you only have nine. Well, they're still big ones, but the list is only nine. How many have ever, like me, tried to go on a diet? One person that admits it. Well, you're wonderful, slim, trim people. But 
when you go on a diet, I don't care if it's Atkins, if it's a Hallelujah diet, if it's the whatever, okay? Do you know what makes you encouraged to keep on the diet? If you lose a little bit. So what's going to encourage you to this process is that, you know what, I had ten things on my list, now I only have nine. Yeah, but you still got a lot. Don't worry about it. I'm getting to that. Okay? Then you start, okay, number one's gone. It might have been a very small amount. Okay, number two, you owe, you know, $1,200 to Visa. Now, this isn't going to be so easy. But any extra money after you pay the, the, the minimum on the others, you're going to start killing debt. You're going to save money everywhere you can. Maybe you go out to eat once or twice a week, and you decide, you know what, we're going to eat at home, and we're going to take that money because we're busy killing our debt. Now, killing is not an easy thing. You can't say, we're going to kill our debt. You've got to say, we're going to kill our debt. Everybody say kill. You're not going to get it done that way. Kill. You get mad. You get mad at those creditors. You get mad at yourself. Why did I get myself in this mess? I'm getting out of this mess. And any extra money that you get, you go after it. And if you work part-time somewhere and you get a little extra money because you worked overtime, you say, Woo, Eureka, we're going to eat at so-and-so or we're going to do this. No, 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 we're busy killing debt. And take that $50 and put it on that visa, and it's going to take quite a while. It may take a few months, but fine. And you keep paying money minimum on the others. Finally, visa, which you've already cut up and destroyed, now you wave goodbye. No more little envelopes with windows coming to your house. And when you cancel a credit card, call them. There's a number on the back. Don't just quit paying you know, or you know, say, I'm not going to charge anything anymore. You've got to cancel it. Because as long as you have it, you know, the credit bureau says, hey, they've got a $3,000 limit on that. They can borrow up to that. That's on your credit report. So you contact them. Did you hear me? Okay. And so after a few months, visa's gone. And you work your way down. The next one might be $2,000. Maybe it's master charge. But guess what? You don't have that monthly payment to visa anymore. So you take that amount, maybe you were paying Visa $40 a month, you take that $40 a month plus any extra that you get, and you start putting it on that MasterCard, it's $2,000, but you keep whittling away, and maybe after a year, MasterCard is gone, and you've gone crazy. Grandma gave you $50 for your birthday, and you said, I'm going after this debt. I'm going to kill it. And any extra, you've got to get mad. Did you hear me? You've got to get mad and vicious and say, this is not going to happen. I'm not going to be in bondage to this. And you go bonkers. Hey, my wife and I did. We first added ours up. It was $25,000. And I got disgusted with myself. How do we do this? And we had to get really mad and work on it and just keep whittling away. And finally, we start to see, you know what? We only owe seven items. And then six. And every bit of extra money that used to pay to those guys, 40 a month, 30 a month, 70 a month, 
Now you got all that money, and you start to see a snowball happening here. And, man, all of a sudden you get down number six, and, and you've got $150, $200 extra a month because you're not paying those other guys anymore. They're out of the picture, and you're starting to knock this thing down. Are you hearing me? And I'm here to tell you that it works. And then finally you've got four or $500 a month, and you get down to those last two, and you start getting down to that car, and you thought you were going to have to pay five years on it, and you can get that thing knocked out in two, two and a half, and it's yours, baby. The title's in your name, and you own it, and you can drive it and say, this is mine. And you start putting money aside that you used to pay on that car, all I can tell you is you're going to have more money than you ever thought you had because it was dribbling away with all this other stuff, 50 here, 75 there, 35 here. Come on, church. And now you're putting the money aside. You said, how in the world do I save money for depreciable items? I can't even make payments on the things I got because you've got to get mad and say, I'm getting out of debt and I'm never going back in. Hello? And so when you see that progress beginning to happen, and you see it, you know what? It's a lot of fun getting in debt, but it's not a whole lot of fun getting out. You hear me? But if you make a determination in your mind, and husband and wife, you've got to agree on this. Sit down and say, whoa. Are we going to do it or not? Because if one's wanting to do it and one's not, you've got problems. And when you get ready to drop a budget, you've got to both agree on it. Because, you know, if husband says, well, here's the budget. I'm going to give my wife $15 a month, but I'm going to spend 150 a month on hunting supplies. You've got a problem. Hello, you don't hunt here because you'd have to drive 200 miles. <laughs> but whatever it is you do. But, you know, uh, you gotta, that's got to be real, too. I mean, you know, you've got to agree on it. But, but whatever, uh, this will be awesome. And, again, did you hear what I said a little earlier? It's going to take some time. Of course, I don't know your financial condition, but it's going to take a while. It, you may get out in six months. It may take a year. It may take four years. But let me tell you something. When four years later comes... If you didn't start it, you're going to be in the same mess. But four years from now, if you did what I said, you'll be debt-free other than your house. And you'll be saying, glory, hallelujah. So make up your mind you're going to do it, and however long it takes. But you know what I found out? When you get this thing started, it gets to be a game. It gets to be fun. And you see what progress you're making. And you here's a little extra money comes in. And, and anything that happens, you put it on that debt. And then it starts to melt, and you think to yourself, why didn't I do this years ago? Okay? Now, some people are practicing this and have done it, and thank God for it. <coughs> but the average typical family has been sold a bill of goods, enjoy it now, pay for it later. But you can have as much. In fact, you can have more because you're not giving the bank or the credit card companies 1000 or 2000 or $3,000 a year in interest. Are you hearing me? And that's very important. So how are you going to do it? Let's try number three again with a little enthusiasm. 
how to get mad. Turn to your neighbor and say, "We won't. it won't happen unless we get mad. Oh, I like that. It won't happen unless we get mad. <laughs> okay. I, I'm having fun with you. Okay. Now, here's a little item. Debt snowball. This is a form. And I can send you these forms later or whatever. But uh, you've already done some of this. But um, you write the item down. Okay, find out where you are, total payoff. Okay, item number one, MasterCard. Total payoff, $5,000. Minimum payment, 120 New payment, payments remaining. Come, you know, you, you get all of this stuff written down, okay? And so that's the reality check. Now, you've already done a portion of that by listing them, but now I asked you to list them from the smallest to the largest, Okay. And that lets you know where we've got to go. Are you hearing me? And that gives you an action plan. Again, you don't pay off the one that's the highest interest rate, and that would make sense. But in this situation, it's like a diet. You want to see some progress. And when the list goes from 10 to 9 to 8 to 6 to 4, you're saying, man, it's starting to happen. And remember, every time you eliminate a debt, whatever it is we were paying that month on that thing, it goes on the new one along with what you're already paying on that one. And then you've got three or four payments that have been eliminated, and all that money that you were paying a month is going on that one, and you'll be out quicker than you ever thought. But it won't happen overnight. And it takes that ugly word called discipline. Hello? Discipline. Okay. Now. I want, to, I want to hit something here. What's the next one there? Because I don't know exactly. Okay. Let, let's stop there for a minute. Uh, take that one off. Thank you. I told you about not preparing yourself for emergencies. Remember that? Everybody write this down. I must start immediately. Immediately, a mini emergency fund. You say, well, I like that, a little one. Mini emergency fund. Does anybody know what that is? What's a mini emergency fund? Okay, here's what it is. For a single person, it would be at least $500. For a married couple, it would be $1,000. What do you mean? I mean this, that however you have to do it, don't rob banks, though. Figure out a way to put $1,000 in a, an account that's liquid but it would only be used for emergencies. And taking all the gang to Pizza Hut paying for it is not an emergency. Okay. You say, where am I going to get this money? I don't know. But, you know, again, if you had to take a part-time job for a little bit or somebody wanted a little Christmas work done for something or 
little extra babysitting or a little extra job that somebody wanted you to do, some carpentry work. I don't know. But put yourself into a situation, if you've got any money, to put this $1,000 and set it aside. You know what? Many people don't have any savings. So you put at least $1,000 aside somewhere, 500 for a single person, and you work until you get it. You say, I don't have 1000 Then take 100 and start with that or 50 and figure out everything you can get. Uh, that goes on there. You say, well, I thought we were just getting ready to eliminate our debt. We are, but the reason people get in debt is they're not adequately funded for quote-unquote emergency. Okay? Now, where does this money go? Well, put it in a savings account, put it in a money market fund, put it in your sock at home if you want. But you might be tempted to get at it. But this would only be used for emergencies. Now, suppose, suppose in this initial stage uh, that, you know, your literally your brakes on your car quit. It was going to take $300 to fix, and you got to have that car to go to work. That's a legitimate emergency. Here's what you would do. You take the $300 out of it, and you would get the brakes paid for because you're not going to borrow any more money, right? And you pay for the brakes, and then you have to put back $300, the next money you get, to keep it at $1,000. Are you hearing me? You say, I can never do that. Yes, you can if you make up your mind. Okay? It won't be easy. And... uh and then you keep it there for only very dire emergencies, okay? Maybe you have to take a child to the hospital. You don't anticipate that, but there's a charge, and maybe it's $200. That's an emergency. But then you fill it back up as quick as you can to keep it at 1000 That's called a mini emergency fund to keep you out of getting in trouble again, I mean, as far as borrowing, Okay? Everybody say mini emergency fund. How much for a single? How much for a married couple? Dollars. Good. This works. This works. That helps you to uh, to uh, be prepared for things that are unanticipated but are of an emergency nature. Okay? Now, I mentioned earlier about the 10%. If you would start with that 10% that you're going to discipline yourself to put aside, that would help to fund this emergency fund. Okay? I wish I had, I don't have anything I can draw on here, do I? I wish I did.
anybody know what a full emergency fund is? How much? Three, three months? Uh, your um, monthly expense. Very good. A full emergency fund is three to six months of your living expenses, not your salary, but what it would take to keep going for three to six months. Suppose you lost your job. The company closed. They tell us that every 10 years, the average family will face a financial crisis, either a job layoff or sickness or whatever. You hear me? What would you do right now if you didn't have a salary for three or four months? Had no money coming in. What would most of you do? Would everything be all right? Maybe not. This is what you're going to do. This 10% comes down here. It's filled up this little emergency fund of $1,000, but you don't quit. Say, well, I'm going to quit funding. No, you're go- this is the rest of your life, 10%. But you take that money, and it starts to flow into the full emergency fund. Have you got anything there? Good. Okay. Great. This, this is great. This, this works. Again, it's not overnight, but... Here we've got income force, and that is that the ten percent you're putting in there. Okay, okay it's coming in here. And here's what we do. It starts coming in. There's a hundred dollars in there. One hundred and fifty, two, three, four hundred dollars, five hundred. Just keep paying that ten percent until finally this thing gets full. This here is the emergency fund. Okay. Can't read it, but. And then finally it keeps spilling over. But we've got another one here. This is the full emergency fund. But you're keeping putting that 10% in there. Everybody with me? And then finally, you know, now I've got a month's salary in there. Then I've got, or not salary, but two months. And i got three and four. And they recommend three to six months living expenses. What If your salary stopped today, what would you need to pay the house payment or the rent? What would you need to pay the car payment if you had one, the groceries, the electricity, uh, the uh, life insurance payment that you had, car insurance? You, you alone know that. You figure that out. And then finally you put three to six months. That could be anywhere from $8,000 to who knows what. And that's not going to be done overnight. This is not money that you're investing. You're not looking to buy a piece of property or buy mutual funds, this is going to be liquid. In other words, you're going to put it in some place where you could get at it real easy. But finally, that gets full. 
and any other money that you want to put in there, the quicker you can do it, the better. But when that's done, you've got it in the bank. If any crisis comes, see, people are unprepared, and it really throws them. But if, you, if you've got that sitting there, most people, have from, after three to six months, they've found something else. They've got a new job. The sickness is over. The situation has changed. And you may never have to use this, and hopefully not. But it's there if you need it. Are you here? Are you listening? Now what happens? You get that full, and it spills over, and it comes into this. Well, we're running out of time. Here we come. Now what are we doing? This 10% is being invested. Now you're going to learn about mutual funds. Now you're going to learn about paying off houses. Now you're going to learn about buying property or whatever. And you say, well, I don't know exactly what to do with all that when it comes. Oh, you will. Oh, you will. But you've got to start little. Did you hear me? If you started tomorrow and said 10%, by the help of the Lord, we're going to do that, you put it into the bank for a little emergency fund, you get it up to $1,000. Some of you could do it right now and probably have it, but some don't. And then you start here and you fund that full emergency fund, try to get three to six months living expenses in there, whatever that is, so that if an emergency comes of a, of a, of a drastic nature, you'll have enough to make it and not have to lose the house or the car or the whatever, okay? Then you start in this area, and you're just every month you're doing this. This is the way you live. And a thousand, you know, or rather 10% goes in, and then you will begin to invest, okay? And that's when it gets fun. How many like to get to the fun part? Yeah. But you can't have fun till you have pain, Okay? And so <laughs> you've got to go through something to get to that point. But uh, you will get there. Rome wasn't built in a day, but it was built. And so you start with a mini emergency fund. Okay, we're going to pause for just a little bit here. And is there any question? Okay. Uh, the question that I had based on this Let's say a person is in uh, uh, debt, consumer debt. This very well explains the mini emergency fund, the full emergency fund. But where does paying off the debt come in? It, you need to have a right. very specific plan. Yes, right after the mini emergency fund. That's when you tackle paying off your debt. In other words, I just said, everybody, single person, get $500, put it in the bank, and away. Uh, married couple, $1,000, put it away. Then you kill your debt. As soon as you do that three steps of killing your debt, remember, don't borrow money for anything. Get rid of those charge cards. And then kill your debt by the snowball. At that point, you will start the second phase, which is the full emergency fund. Okay. And again, once you get going on this, it will happen quicker than you think, but it won't just happen tomorrow. And then fill that full emergency fund, and then as, as that gets full and you've got whatever it is you need for three to six months living, eight, ten thousand, fifteen, whatever, uh, and you say, I could never have that much money in the bank, 
No, not the way some people are going now. they got too many people they owe. But once you turn it around, then it will happen, and uh, you'll be excited about it. Okay? You say, are you sure this works? Yes, it works. How's it going to happen? Discipline. Did it happen to you? Yes. Okay? And many other people. He mentioned last night uh, about, uh, uh, well, we know who it was, Doug, uh, who I, I explained some of these principles, and uh, he said, really? We sat for two hours and went over it, and he was working as a youth pastor delivering pizzas and just making it. And a year later, he met me somewhere and said, I can't believe it. We've got all our bills paid for. Started the 10% business. He said, we've got $8,000 in the bank. He said, I don't know where it came from, but if I hadn't have done this, we'd have been right where we were before. And now he is a financial advisor and doing well at it. And uh, if you want to keep living the way you're living, go ahead. Or if you want to make some changes and say, I don't want to live this way anymore, and I don't know you're fine. Some of you are already doing this, I'm sure. But if you want to change, then you're the only one that can facilitate. Any other questions? For emergency purposes, with this overflow method right here. Right. I mean, because you well, can exactly. just get yourself in trouble when you well, get you do. Yeah. Then you try to define what an emergency is, you know, and some people have different <laughs> interpretations right. of that. Uh, that's exactly right. You're building your own emergency fund. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All right, run over here. I actually heard a question from me. Uh, as far as, like, uh, Keeping, uh, keeping up with your credit and establishing credit, I, I always heard that you should have a credit card and pay into it and so that it shows that you're actively, you know, using right. credit. Right. Right. And probably most of you have already established that. But except for money for borrowing a house, why do you need to have good credit? You're not going to borrow anymore, you know. And uh, if you can prove that you've got adequate cash reserves and so on and so forth, uh, you should be able to qualify for a house. And you're not going to borrow for cars anymore. You're not going to borrow for, uh, you know, uh, credit consumer credit. You just aren't. And you make up your mind. Now, you know, if you want to go out and get a credit card and or if you have one, I'm not saying. Now, the purists would say zero. I would say one, but Never have a payment where you carry anything over or pay one dime of interest. Did you hear me? That would be my explanation of that. And the minute you do, then cut that last one up. But I know what you're saying. That's another point. I, I'm, I, I'm not dealing with all of this. But you need to check your credit statement at least once a year. Equifax or whatever, trans. Uh, and there are several places because things can get on your credit uh, report that you didn't even make. A lot of mistakes made, a lot of identities being stolen, and so you can actually do it free. Go online. I can't remember the name of it right now, but uh, uh, what is it? That's right, freecreditreport.com. 
and you can check your own credit yourself. You say, does that really happen? My son went to rent an apartment in Dallas a few weeks ago, checked his credit, and there's a guy named Anthony Brown in Indianapolis, where, and my son had been in Indianapolis in 92, and they had charged this guy for $1,800 skipping out on rent, and it appeared on my son's credit report. He had no idea because he never had to check his credit before and found that out. And there was another, Anthony J. Brown, in, which is a common name, and he had it got on my son's report, and it took uh, a week and a half to get that thing purged out of there. We had no idea. And uh, so stuff can be on there, and you don't don't even know about it. So you can check freecreditreport.com, and uh, so I would I would recommend that you do that. Make sure that there's nothing on there that that shouldn't be on there. Okay. Do we have any other comment? Yes. I might need that microphone. <laughs> I couldn't see that. My father is driving a car that has Mazda 8. And they, they ever, ever borrowed money from they need, they saved like so right. That was the pension. No pension. And welfare. No right. medical. Some government. But what people do, they buy a lot of gold, gold bracelets. Yes, they do. And at least 25 and buy bridges. And that's how they because they don't back. Yeah, I don't trust them either, really, to be honest with you. So, you know, if government comes, government goes, goes in. Yes, yes. I, I understand that. That's true. That's true. Uh, banks are a precarious thing right now. They really are. But, uh, you know, that's the system that we have. And I have been in the Middle East, and I know in Pakistan, same way. Okay, another question? All right. Stand up a little bit, stretch. Don't go too far because I'm going to try to bring this up to uh, kind of bring you in for a landing on, on some of the things that I've talked about here. Praise the Lord.
I have 